Well, it's good to have everybody here today, and I want to say thank you again to our guests for being here today. If you're a first-time guest, it truly is a blessing that you're here, and uh, we want to uh, be a blessing to you, so please stop by the uh, Welcome Center. We have some gifts for you, and just to say thank you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, first of all, I want to say this, I'm so thankful uh, for Brother Jeffrey and Brother Tony last Sunday. It was uh, nice. It was a blessing to, to hear what the Lord had put on their hearts uh, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And uh, I, I, love, I love preaching God's Word, but I also love hearing God's Word preached. And so uh, it's, it's a blessing to be able to do, do both of those things. Uh, but when, when I was preaching last a couple weeks ago, we were in chapter 1. And there were three charges that we saw out of that first chapter. Just to remind you of that. If you were here, if you weren't here, this is what we talked about. The first thing was this, our faith and faithfulness to Christ should be increasing. In light of the end times, in light of the fact that we're, of course, drawing closer to Christ's return with every day that we have, our faith and faithfulness to Christ should be increasing. Secondly, our faithful sharing of the gospel should increase. And this is something that Brother Jeffrey really honed in on and, and, and exhorted us with last week. The third point was this, our faithfulness to serve Christ and refuse idols should become more apparent. So the, the closer we get to Christ's return, the more faithful to serve Christ, and the more obvious it is that we're rejecting idols in our lives should become. Again, and, and I think it's a hard thing. I think it's something that we should evaluate in our lives. Does it look like that I'm uh, collecting? Does it look like I'm infatuated more with idols today than I was yesterday or last year or five years ago? Um, and today, does it look like I'm, I'm faithfully serving Christ or I'm serving Christ in a greater capacity today than I was last year? And I think it's so important for us to understand to, to do that evaluation on a regular basis because it's so easy for our flesh to get lazy. Can we say amen? It's so easy for all of our flesh to get lazy and say, I, I, I really don't feel like doing this. When we, we, we do that, we forget that the Savior went to the cross, bore our sin, bore our shame to give us freedom. Freedom for what? Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this. Don't use your liberty for an occasion of the flesh. But by love, serve one another. We are, we are to use this liberty that we have in Christ that he's afforded to us to serve him, to serve one another. And again, I'm, I'm going through this, this letter for a specific reason. Uh, we've, in this study, we, we were only, you know, Sermon 7 in it, but uh, I said that I want to look at foundational things about the end times, and we did that a little bit in the beginning. I want to look at some of the, the fundamental truths. We've already done some of that, and we're going to do that a little bit more. And then we're eventually going to get to the future hope uh, of what it means for Christ to return for the, for the Christian. And, um, you know, this, this letter, I'm crackling, right? Yeah? Is that better? Yes? Good? All right. Thank you. Interesting when tips pop up on my, my screen. Very thankful for them. <laughs> but this letter contains several elements um, as well as instructions and encouragements uh, that we can take for us. Again, it was written almost 2,000 years ago, but we can take it today and apply it in our lives, no question. As I said last week, Brother Jeffrey preached about the importance of sharing the gospel in the end, and it's so vital for us to do that as i said our, our flesh gets lazy and i've i've challenged our church before when's the last time that you've taken an invite card and actually invited somebody to church when's the last time that you actually grabbed a gospel track and handed it to somebody not just taking it and thought well i hope to give it no i'm gonna give the gospel to somebody this week and then even further when's the last time that you intentionally tried to have a conversation with somebody so that you would prayerfully have an open door to share the gospel with them how intentional, how much more are we saying we're getting close to the end and I need to be better about being that representative, that ambassador, the, the, this, this jar of clay that contains the, the heavenly treasure of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. When's the last time that we said, man, I, I need to be faithful about that. God, help me be faithful to share the gospel. And again, there's a few things uh, that I believe we can grab in this chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. You know, but, uh, Paul began with the... Um, the ministry that they had there and how he came to them. Again, the context, in light of the end times, that's basically the context, in light of the soon return of Christ, 
for these Thessalonian believers, they thought the day of the Lord had already come upon them. And so for them, there were problems that were increasing. There was persecution uh, that was increasing. There, were, there was difficulties that were increasing the further they went along in their faith. And for us in many ways, and maybe not many ways, some ways, I think it's similar. Because you and I don't have to worry about persecution. We don't have to worry about going out and saying, well, if I do this today for the Lord, I might get thrown into prison. Well, if I do this for the Lord today, I might end up, you know, my, my family might, uh, we might lose our home. They may come and burn our home to the ground. We don't live like that. Um, but the culture we are living in, no doubt, has challenges. Here, here's the reality of it, is you and I are living in a time where the culture that's controlled by the enemy is being very conditioned. It's being conditioned away from God. It always has been because it's under the power of Satan. But our culture... That, that you and I, most of us grew up in. Now the young people in here, this is all they know. But you and I grew up in a different culture. We, we, we had a different uh, set of standards and morals that a lot of people embraced as we were being raised, as we grew up. Uh, there were some, just some common courtesy things that were, were going on back in the day, you know. And, and so today, we're living in a different time where the culture is being conditioned away from God and specifically conditioned away from His truth and conditioned away from His righteousness. Right? There's, there's so much that's being exalted in our world today that is evil and unrighteous in the sight of God. Everywhere you look, there's a promotion of ungodliness. You can't even hardly drive down a highway without seeing the promotion of ungodliness. Just about every major corporation is a part of this agenda, of this conditioning that we see. Every outlet that we get information from, whether it's social media or media, is a part of promoting, whether it's transgenderism or homosexuality, even pedophilia today. I'm going to throw this in there because it's true. Critical race theory. Everything that embraces ungodliness, and the reason why I say that is because God, the, 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 the things that make us unique are not to separate us but unite us. And we have a, 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 an ungodly agenda that's being promoted and taught that's seeking to divide even the people of God by the color of their skin. That's ungodly. That's unrighteous. That's of the enemy. So what do we do as Christians? As we move closer to the end, what do we do in light of all this? Well, we all know what we can do and what's easy to do, right? One of the things that we can do is we can complain. Amen? Let's be honest. We can complain, and we like to complain. We're good at complaining. I complain. I know you complain. We can complain about what's going on in the culture, and, and again, we're good at it. But guess what? Our complaining actually doesn't fix anything about what's going on. We can, and I believe should, vote the morals. Did you hear me? The morals that we gain from Scripture while we have the opportunity to do it. So oh, it doesn't matter anyways, or that blah, 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 blah. I think that we can. As long as we can, I think that we should. Both the morals that we find, that we derive from Scripture, but please hear me, that isn't the answer. We can do a lot, but the main things that we should focus on in light of living in a culture that's constantly growing more intolerable to the truth Constantly growing more hostile towards the righteousness of God is what I believe we see in this second chapter of, uh, of 1 Thessalonians. So in light of that, read with me in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. I want you to hear those words again. After we have already suffered and been mistreated for the exact same thing that we came to you to do, share the gospel and minister to you, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Did you hear what he said? He said that we already were suffering uh, for sharing the gospel in Philippi. And then as we traveled to you, we had boldness in God to do the same exact thing that we were suffering for in the city before. And I've preached on this before. How many of us when we come across a little bit of adversity in our Christian life, have the tendency in our flesh to pull back. I think a lot of us, right? Well, I'm not going down that road again. Well, I'm not ever going to do that again. 
I'm never going to put myself out there like that again. I'm not going to connect with people like that again. I'm not going to serve like that again. I'm not going to volunteer again. Again, we, we kind of face some opposition, some adversity, we face some difficulty and trials in our Christian life. And the first tendency we have to do is to listen to what our flesh tells us to do. And Paul said, we already had difficulty and adversity and we were mistreated and, and we had suffered for sharing the gospel. Not because somebody didn't do what we wanted them to do. Not because they didn't ask us, they asked somebody else. Not because they, they, they sang a song that we didn't like or the style that we didn't like or they read from this because we don't like it or whatever the case may be. Not because of any of the preferences, but they were suffering and were persecuted for sharing the gospel. That's what they were suffering and mistreated for. And then they still came and amid much opposition to the gospel, they still spoke it. He said, for our exhortation does not come in verse 3 from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but seeking to please God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech. Our, our approach was not to be super eloquent or entertaining in, in, our, in, in our presentation of the gospel. We weren't interested in trying to win you over for us. That's what he's talking about as far as the impurity goes. We weren't doing it with, for, for anything like that, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. We weren't trying to get money from you. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or for others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Paul kind of reminds them that they were called in, in, and installed and gifted by God with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of apostleship to do only what apostles could do. And Paul said, we could have said, by the power that God has given to us, this is what we're going to command you to do. And they would have been under that judgment and been responsible because they were gifted by God as apostles to the church. It's similar to pastors, but the pastors don't have apostolic authority. Pastors don't have apostolic gifts. But he said, we could have exhorted this, I mean, exerted this authority. We could have made you do it, and then you would have been accountable to God and judged by God by our authority given to us by Jesus himself. And you would have been accountable for it, but we didn't do that. We didn't do it because we wanted money. We didn't do it because we wanted a following. We didn't do it for anything else. But we came because God entrusted us with the gospel. He compelled us with, with the gospel. And we have a responsibility to do this until he takes us home. That's it. He says, so our approach was to you, it was gentle. We proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, listen to this, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. So in light of the end, right, in, in light of this growing godless culture that you and I are living in, hostile toward the righteousness of God, like Paul, I think we need to remember this too, point number one in your notes, that shameless sharing of the gospel is essential. Again, this is three weeks in a row that we've seen this pop up. Two weeks ago, I shared it. Last week, Brother, Brother Jeffrey shared it. And then this morning, again, we see that shameless sharing of the gospel is essential. It's primary. It must be. So why does it have to be? Why should the main thing in our lives as children of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, why should the main thing, why should our main focus be sharing the gospel? Because it's always been the mission of the church. There's never been another mission for the church. Now, in, in, in current church culture, there's a lot of other focuses. There's a lot of other agendas. There's a lot of other missions that aren't missions from God. Missions to gather more people so they have more money, so they have more stuff, so they can live a certain lifestyle or whatever the case may be. But the mission of the church, the people of God, has always been the gospel. Again, I shared two weeks ago that our faithful sharing of the, the gospel should increase. The point this week is so important to add to that. Boldless, shameless, and genuinely motivated mission. Bold, shameless, and genuine. That's how we should live our lives, sharing the gospel. Why are you inviting that person to church? So we have more people? 
No, don't do that. So that we have more people to go to heaven? Yes. <laughs> so, that, so that we can disciple them to follow Christ? Yes. So they don't go to hell? Yes. But not that, so that we, we have something for ourselves? No. So the kingdom of God is increased. That our, our, again, bold, shameless, and genuine motivated mission. God knows the motivation of our hearts. But I think that the motivation is also important to communicate, right? If you don't communicate the motive of your heart, sometimes assumption wins, right? It happens in the home, right? If, if you're not communicating why you're doing something or why you didn't do something or whatever, then what ends up happening is the, the other, the partner, the spouse, can assume that you did it for a reason that you didn't do it for. The same thing happens at your job. The same thing happens in the church. That's why Paul was coming to them and say, listen, let me explain to you our motives you saw our lives, you saw what we were doing, you saw what we were facing and what we were under, and, and there, was no, there was no room for doubt. So let me just remind you of how we were coming to you and why we were doing what we were doing. See, if we don't clearly communicate our motives and assumption wins, then the enemy does as well. That's why Paul had to defend his motives and constantly defend the motives of him and his missionary team to many different cities. Because there was always people attacking them. He had to clearly explain so that when the Thessalonians heard about the criticism that Paul was facing as the man of God, that they would know yet again the truth about his motives. And now I know you're saying that Paul wants to be famous among all the people and he's traveling all around and, and, and he's just he's trying to draw people away from himself and, and he's wanting to have a following so that he can have money. I know you're saying that, but we spent... In some cases, three years with him, three and a half years with him. In some cases, we spent a year with him, day and night. We saw what he was doing. We saw how faithful he was to proclaim the same message over and over and over. But notice what Paul communicates again in those few verses. The first thing is that, again, they had just experienced the suffering. They had just had been mistreated for sharing the gospel. But it didn't keep them from sharing. He was reminding them about this as far as their motives. That proved in the least that their motivation wasn't about themselves and it wasn't about their comfort similarly we have to remember that regardless of what you and i endure people are still headed to an eternal torment under the wrath of god against their sin and if each person in this room only is anticipating that the other person is going to share the gospel Who's ever going to boldly pro proclaim the gospel? If you're not doing it, and assuming and expecting other people to do it, and everybody's doing that, who's proclaiming the gospel? Nobody. And I wonder if that would be the indictment on Trinity Baptist Temple Church. Are we just assuming that the pastors and other leaders of the church are sharing the gospel? And do we just assume that that's good enough? Or do we approach every day as an ambassador of God knowing that there are people in our lives that we may come in contact with that the pastors and the people that we're assuming that are sharing the gospel will never come in contact with until possibly eternity. Secondly, Paul wanted to make sure that their, the clear objective was understood that it was shameless and they were boldly declaring the gospel that the thessalonians needed and they were doing this after they had suffered in philippi and the whole reason why they were doing that was to please god paul wasn't some people say well paul just wanted to do it so that he could boast to the thessalonians that he had done this in philippi that was some of the criticisms that paul was under paul wasn't doing that he said the whole reason i'm explaining this to you is our motivation was to please god not ourselves not man, but to please God who had entrusted us with the gospel. Think about this. It's, it's, it's God who has entrusted us. And it's God who examines the heart. Why would we live for the motivation of trying to please men when we won't have to stand before men? Thirdly, he makes sure they recalled that it wasn't by this great flattering speech. It wasn't antics or special methods. It wasn't a focus on man's talent or ability. It wasn't man's flash 
or his cool factor. It wasn't for man's applause or approval so that the Thessalonians would like them to want to join their team or their group. And then he reminds them again, even though they had been ordained as spiritual leaders and had authority from Jesus himself, they didn't exert that so that they would not praise them but praise God. Fourthly, their approach as a nursing mother was to care for them and to nurture them as their own children. And please hear me on this. I believe this approach is the approach of what every genuine spiritual leader should have. What every genuine spiritual leader should have is this of a nurturing mother. You say, what do you mean? Nurturing mothers, what do they do? Of course, they nurture, but they teach their young. They're gentle, they're caring, they're protective of their young. They referee disputes with their young. They correct errors with their young. But with fond affection, like a nursing mother, it drives these things, and it's what drove Paul and his team to shamelessly share the gospel the way they did. Our approach to sharing the gospel, why we do it, as Jeffrey shared last week, should be love. Why are you, why are you inviting your neighbors? Why are you inviting your coworkers week after week? Why are you faithful to the Lord, and why are you praying for their soul, and why are you inviting those strangers that you come in contact with? Why are you sharing the gospel, and why are you trying to initiate gospel conversations? And it should be because the Lord has entrusted you with it and because you love other people. In this text today, we see the nature of that bold sharing of the gospel again. Again, this love, this affection, this motherly nurturing, not to please others, not to have a name among men, but for the Savior himself who's entrusted us. As I said, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Look what these words say. You know, I've read this, we all know this, many of you could recite this, you know this very well, but I want you to listen to the words very intently again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But yeah, I know what it says. I know it, I memorized it. But think about it like this now. That power in the gospel is not effectual. It's not applied to those who are in need of it unless we share it. Think about that. All the power of God to transform a life. The the gospel is the eternal power of God to transform a soul And it's wrapped up in our obedience to share it. Do you get the weight of that? The power that transformed you and I. We had to hear the gospel. Man, we heard the gospel that Brother Jeffrey shared last week. Somebody had to share it with us. But that was what was containing. That was what was holding it back. Somebody had to proclaim it. Somebody had to share it. Somebody had to give it. Somebody had to give us the gospel before the Lord could use that and the Holy Spirit could convict us and draw us and cause us to to, to surrender our life to him. All the power of God, the eternal power of God who spoke everything into existence, didn't lift a finger, spoke it all into existence. All the power of God to radically make all things old and make all things new in a person's life. All of it wrapped up in our obedience to share it or our disobedience to not share it. Let me ask you this morning, are you shamelessly sharing the gospel? Are you boldly sharing the gospel with anybody? Somebody. Are you sharing the gospel? I believe that we should pray and ask God to give us such an affection for the lost. Let me ask you this. Do you care that people are headed toward it to an eternal torment? And I know mentally and even emotionally, you may say in your mind, like I say, when I hear a question like that, yes, I do. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity with no hope of relief ever. I don't want anybody to do that, except for maybe that person. No. 
There's a difference between mentally and I believe even emotionally caring for something versus being spiritually affected. And I believe you and I as the people of God need to be closer to what Paul and his team were and I believe they were spiritually affected by what not only Christ had done for them but what he had entrusted them with and called them to do so much so that they were willing to leave one city after being tormented and mistreated and suffering to go to another city to do the same exact thing and mind you to experience the same exact thing that they had experienced in the city before why because they were spiritually affected that people were going to go to hell if they didn't share the gospel with them that God had entrusted them with the power of Almighty God wrapped up in our obedience, our willingness to share it. We should pray and ask God to give us an overwhelming burden and a love for, for souls. I'm begging you this morning, if you don't have it, if it doesn't bother you that maybe your neighbors are going to hell, if it doesn't bother you, bother you that every day the coworkers that you see and you encounter possibly could be going to hell, and you're doing nothing, it doesn't affect you, I'm encouraging you this morning, when we have this invitation to hit this altar and cry out to God and say, God, give me an affection for the lost. Be, help me be spiritually affected. God, break my heart, give me an overwhelming burden and love for lost souls so that I'll do something. The only thing you've called me to do. I believe every time that we get frustrated by watching an ad that pops up on YouTube or an ad that pops up or comes across the screen on a commercial, every time that we get frustrated by a show or a movie on a kid's network or whatever the case may be, a report that promotes ungodliness on social media or in a news uh, outlet that we read, I believe that we should determine to shamelessly share the gospel. Every time that we see it, we say, you know what? That, that just reminds me of my call to share the gospel to the lost. Not that I'm going to go out there and blast it on Facebook and say, you know, bless God, blah, 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 blah. No, hey, I'm not saying there aren't times for us to stand up for truth and to call out ungodliness and call it what it is and sin what it is. Absolutely. But what we've been called to do is to share the gospel. So every time you say, well, I just saw this and it just makes me, mm, why don't you say, God, bring somebody in my life or, or open my eyes so that I can see somebody I can share the gospel with today. Help me do something to actually... Go towards the solution. The gospel is what changed hearts then. It's what changed cities and radically transformed people back then. And it's still what it is today. But if we don't share it, we can't do it. You have a lost loved one? Are you waiting for somebody else to share the gospel with them? I've been guilty of that before. Shamefully guilty of it in verse 8 having so fond affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel but our own lives also we already read this but because you um, so because you had become very dear to us for you recall brethren our labor and hardship how working night and day not as uh, so so as not to be uh, a burden to any of you we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, uh, toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father. Now we switch over to a father, his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What a beautiful statement from the Apostle Paul course inspired by the holy spirit that's why it's beautiful <laughs> so you know what we were doing we were not trying to take advantage of you we were not trying to take money from you you saw us every single day working day and night with our own hands whether it was uh, making tents or trying to trying to make a living ourselves you know we we didn't do that and you know how we treated you and how we instructed you and exhorted you and implored you to walk in a way that you would please God, the one who called you into his kingdom and glory. You, you know for yourselves, again, Paul's having to defend their motives. He had to, he's having to defend their, 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 their cause. But in the middle of all that, he reminded them that they had given up their lives for this. They had given up their lives to serve other people. And the Thessalonians were part of that. Point number two, in light of the end, we must remember that sacrificial ministry for the Savior is principle. Sacrificial ministry for the Savior is, is principle. 
Again, Paul and his team's call was to go and reach the Gentile world to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And they were sent. That's the, the, the uh, meaning of the word apostle in the Greek. He sent one. There was specific apostolic qualifications, we know, like having seen the resurrected Christ. What, is, what makes an apostle distinct from a pastor? Well, you know, what, it doesn't mean that an apostle couldn't be a pastor. Of course, Paul was pastoring these people until pastors were installed in these churches. But one of the qualifications was having seen the resurrected Christ. There were also, as I said earlier, special apostolic gifts, I believe, that were essential for this foundational period of the church. Why were these apostolic gifts, to these, gifts given to these men for this foundational part of the church? Because they would signify the authority that Christ himself operated, operated in while he was on this earth in the flesh. These men would have the same gifts and even more so. He's told them that. You would do greater things. And these men who were chosen and called and gifted like this, the Bible tells us, are the foundation of the church. They're the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Once again, their motives for doing what they were doing were constantly under attack. Therefore, they constantly had to be defended and validated. You know, I, I imagine it gets tiring, right? I imagine it gets, it's, um, um, it, it became a little wearying to Paul's mind, right? Having, knowing that you've given up everything, knowing that you've surrendered all, knowing that you've gone through so many things for the gospel cause and for the cause of Christ, and yet knowing that everywhere you go, you've got to tell them why you're doing what you're doing yet again, right? You would think that, look, what he's gone through, look at all the beating, broken bones and his, his skin, he's got lumps and bruises and cuts. He's always looking like that. He doesn't look good. <laughs> you would think that that would signify that the guy's gone through something, and yet he's still doing it. And what is he doing out there? He's still working. Why? In, spe in, spe in, in specific cities for that specific reason. And he'll talk about that. So that they couldn't accuse him of doing it. So that he could get money for him, from them. See, these Thessalonian believers didn't have the opportunity that churches have today. They had a short stint with Paul. They could read his letters. But they couldn't see a pastor a spiritual leader, a group leader, week in, week out, faithful to preach the truth, faithful to preach the gospel, week after week. Again, they had the time that they had with him, and they had his letters and other messengers. They had the moments while he was there. It's for this reason that Paul said in verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Notice these words that he used Please notice them. The first thing was this, labor. Labor. The Greek word is toil or pains or even weariness. And hardship is similar, almost the same exact word. Painfulness, sadness, and travail. So again, this was one of those cities that Paul had to say, you know what, I, I'm not going to take any offerings from them. Not that he did, didn't, and not that it wasn't right. Because scripture tells us that it is. And he did. Scripture tells us that he did take gifts from other churches. Well, from the, the Philippian church, they were a huge blessing to Paul, he said. But look what he says in 2 Thessalonians, the second letter to him. Chapter 3, verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. We kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to, burden to any of you. I believe in our lives so often we miss the ministry in the moments. The ordinary days in our lives. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. To labor in hardship for the Savior who died for you to be forgiven. You don't have to be in one of those offices to labor like this. We are all ambassadors every day. It never stops because we never stop being his child. We never stop being his church. So yeah, at your job, you're an ambassador. Yeah, when you go to the store, yeah, on the road, yes. Everywhere we are to be witnesses. What did Jesus charge his disciples with? Matthew chapter 9, But the Pharisee said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, 
of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved, look at this, with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered and they were like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Look at all the needs out there. Look at all the ungodliness. Look at all of the, the promotion of ungodliness in our culture. Look at all the lost people. Look at all the confused people. Look at all the people that are just going off of their own uh, vile, sinful nature. Look at the great need. It's out there, he said. But look at his, the return of this. But the laborers are few. I believe in today's context it would be appropriate to say, the consumers in the church are many. In light of the harvest being plentiful, the consumers are many, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of people approaching their Christian life, a lot of people approaching church, the family of God, as a consumer, not a contributor. What are you doing for the Lord? How are you serving him and his people? How are, you, how, are you, how are you advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, laborers into his harvest. We've, again, adopted a temporary earthly mindset of our time on earth, even as it pertains to our labor. And I want you to hear me on this. I think a lot of us have done this. We, we've, we've adopted this, this earthly, temporal mindset while we're on the earth. Even as it pertains to the kingdom of God. So what are you talking about? Here's the mindset. Here's the temporal, earthly mindset that you work hard when you're young so that you can rest and travel when you're old. Just ask the question. What's the pattern that we see in Jesus? The pattern is actually just the opposite. The closer Christ got to the end of his life, which he knew, the more he pressed in. Same thing for the Apostle Paul. I finished my course. I finished my race. Yet things get more difficult when we get older. Say, yeah, I, I can't do what I used to do when I was younger. I can't serve in the same ways. I can't labor in the same ways. Absolutely, things get more difficult, but we should still serve. And even in our, in our current capacity to the point of laboring for the gospel. Listen, if your approach to serving Jesus and serving others, sharing the gospel, is a convenience or comfort-based approach, please hear me, you've missed the boat when it comes to preparing for the end. It's not about, well, I'm just not comfortable. I, man, when I was a young uh, Christian, I was such a firecracker. I was so excited to invite, invite everybody to church, and I was so excited to share the gospel with everybody. But, man, I, I've been through a lot. I've been burned a lot. I've, I've got rejected a lot. And now I'm just, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just not very comfortable with it anymore. Our daily sacrificial service should be based on the will and command of God, not on the whim and comfort of self. As I've shared many times before, what that looks best like is Jesus in the garden, facing the trial, facing the, the, the illegal trial, facing the scourging, facing the death for sin that he never committed, doing for us and in fulfillment of the Father's will. As hard as it was, as sacrificial as it was, as uncomfortable as, as it may have been in a fleshly body, feeling fleshly emotions, knowing what it was going to be to fleshly suffer, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, yet not my will, but yours be done. The closer we're getting to our Lord's, your Lord's return. What does your service for him and the gospel service look like? Does it look selfish? Or does it look sacrificial? The closer you get to the Lord's return, does your service look more sacrificial or does it look more selfish? We have a bunch of people in this church that are sacrificing week after week, laboring for the gospel, laboring to serve others. But I challenge you, examine your heart. Why am I serving the Lord? What does my service look like? Verse 13, I'm going to wrap it up. For this reason, we constantly thank God 
that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word from men, but from what it really was, what it really is, the word of God, which also performs this work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the, uttermo- to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, but not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face again. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, I wanted to come to you again, Thessalonian believers. Well, listen to these words from the almighty God in imparting his authority to an apostle who had, who had great power, apostolic power and authority. Listen to what he says. Yet Satan hindered us. Did you hear what he said? He said, this is what I wanted to do. This was my ambition. This is what my goal was. This is, I was going to do this. But Satan hindered us more than once. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Last point we need to remember, especially as the children of God, the closer we get, the closer we move to the end, is this. Sincere acceptance of the truth is paramount. Sincere acceptance of the truth is paramount. The closer we get to the end, man, we need, when the word of God is preached, when you're in a group and you're listening to the word of God, when you're having a Bible study, when, whenever the word of God is there, available, being proclaimed, whatever, we need to accept it as truth. That is paramount. That we need to cling to the truth the closer we get to the end. So often people receive and accept what they want and refuse what they don't. So often they accept it if it's, if it's packaged in a beautiful little presentation. Maybe they hear a pastor preach and they take it as words from man. Listen, please hear me. If it's man opinion, man's opinion or if it's man's words, then take it as that. But if that man of God is preaching the word of God, it's paramount to accept it, sincerely accept it as the word of God. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. James chapter 1 tells us that the, the, the person who hears the word of God and does it is a wise person. But if somebody hears the word of God and doesn't receive it, doesn't, doesn't act on it, doesn't do, doesn't obey what God's word says, it's like a man looking in a mirror, seeing, seeing the problems that he's got going on on his face and then walking away ignoring them. We're not going to make it against the enemy of God without the word of God. Satan hindered Paul, he said. I I wanted to do this, but Satan hindered me. Listen, I'm I'm not trying to exalt Paul, but I'm not an apostle. Nobody in here is. Paul was an apostle. God had had a special plan for him, and he used him in a unique way. But if the apostle Paul said that Satan hindered us, we have no hope against the enemy without the word of God. In the Spirit of God. Last Sunday evening, Brother Tony reverberated that when he shared Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Take on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the, the belt of what? Truth. The enemy has schemes the people, the processes that he uses. Guess what? They still work. If they don't, why do Christians still argue and bicker and get divided? If Satan schemes in his, in his, in his, in his people, if, if none of that still works, then why do Christians get so easily distracted? Why do we stop sacrificially serving? Why do we stop sharing the gospel shamelessly? Satan's good at what he does. He knows how to hinder. He knows how to, how to halt. He knows how to stop those things. And again, our only hope is to sincerely accept the word of God, to sincerely hold to the truth and live by the truth every single day. The enemy's heavy at work today, and if the enemy, again, withstood the apostles, if he stopped at times the movement of men for the kingdom of God and even affected others by this, what makes us think that we are any better? 
See, not, not doing the will of God so that the enemy will leave us alone is still disobedience. Did you hear what I said? Not doing the will of God. You say, well, yeah, if, if, I, if I step up and i like, okay, I'll volunteer for this. If I step up and say, God, I want to read the Bible more faithfully every day. I want to embrace your word. I want to know your word. I want to memorize your word. I want to live by your word. I want to be faithful to share the gospel. God, I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be an instrument of righteousness. I, I want to I be the, the, the person who you've called me to be. And you step out and do that. And everybody in this room who's ever done that before, you know exactly what's on the backside of that, right? The enemy comes. He comes. And the next thing you know, you're, you're bickering and fighting with your spouse or your kids are causing problems or, or your, your health goes down or somebody at the church hurts your feelings or, or whatever. The, the enemy is going to use everything at his disposal to try to stop you from going that direction. If you know that he's going to do it, then there's a temptation in the flesh to say, you know what, I, I'm just not going to be that amped up to, to, to do those things for the Lord. And then maybe the enemy will leave me alone. still disobedience so how so that means that you're going to miss out on blessings that god has in store for you in obedience only receiving at the same time the chastisement which is also a blessing from god he chastens those he loves but receiving the, missing the blessings and in, in receiving the chastisement for disobedience not only this but allows the enemy not the lord who died for you to have victory. And please hear this. This is what, when God put this on my heart, this is what stung. When we do that, it not only allows the enemy and not, not the Lord who died for me to have victory, it allows the enemy to have the say in my life. And I was like, ugh. Right? That's kind of like the enemy saying, I'm going to dictate your life. And you're going to follow me not the one who died for you. Uh, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. If the Spirit of God is in you, and you're truly a child of God, you will not be okay with this. And I'm not going to read the other scriptures, but I encourage you to, to read them. Again, it was, it was recently read in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do, and I find this war that's raging within my members that with the flesh I obey the law of sin, and with the spirit I delight after the law of God. And so who's going to help me? Who's going to save me from this, this sinful fleshly body? And he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Romans chapter 8 tells us that those who, live, who, who, who have the spirit live in the spirit. And that if you don't have the spirit of God, that you're none of his. And so the closer we get to the end this morning, the more opinions will surface. The more lies will be spread. And the more the enemy will attempt to water down the truth. There's going to be more attempts to make the church, please hear this. The closer we get to the end, there's going to be more attempts to make the church, the Christian life, a casual, comfortable name tag versus a truth-loving sacrificial service sincere shameless gospel sharing way of life there's going to be a great temptation the closer we get to pull back more and what we see in scripture is we should press in more what group are you going to be a part of there's only one in that group that's going to be rewarded by the way what group are you going to be a part of? If you're here this morning and you're not positive that heaven's going to be your home. We've talked a lot about heaven. We've talked a lot about hell. We've talked about the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news. The good news is simply this, that we're all sinners. You say, that's not good news. <laughs> we're all sinners. And we all deserve the punishment against our sin. And we will receive the punishment against our sin one day. We will. Unless. We surrender our lives to Christ. So why would we surrender our lives to Christ? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him, surrender their life to him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus did that. He went to the cross, he died, he paid for every single sin that we would ever, ever commit. But that atonement, that payment, that satisfaction of the, your, your sin 
will not be applied to your life unless you accept it. Unless you accept that gift from God. That comes from repentance and trusting in Christ. And if you've never done that before, I invite you today. We're going to have the invitation here in just a second. As I said, I encourage you Christians, if you don't have that burden or that, that spiritual affection uh, that only comes from the Lord about lost souls, I'm begging you come to this altar. God, help me have affection for the lost. God, help me care about the lost. I go about my days and all I care about me and my family and my stuff. I don't even think about lost people. Hit this altar. Cry out to God. We need a change. But if you're here today and you're not positive you're going to heaven, I invite you to come at the same time. We've got people here on the front. If you're a lady, there's ladies. If you're a guy, there's guys. And we can talk with you and show you in Scripture. And today could be the day of salvation for you. You can walk out of this place and you can say, I know 100% that I'm going to heaven, not because of something I did, but because Jesus did for me. But don't miss the opportunity. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we have experienced. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the time that we've just had all together in, in worship and song. And again, just your truth. And I pray that we would take these points, that we take this, these message, uh, this message uh, and apply them in our life. And again, I, I do move, I pray you would move your people. God, every single one of us in this place who maybe have grown cold and callous toward the lost. Maybe we could say, I, I'm the one who gets frustrated when I see what the world is promoting, but I don't do anything as far as the gospel is concerned about it. Lord God, that we would be honest enough, that we'd be humble enough to come to this altar and bow our knees or, or to just come, come before your presence and say, God, I, I, I want to change. And again, again, I pray that if there's somebody lost, that they would come forward at this time as well. We'll praise you for all you do. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as we sing, I want to invite you to come.